So, we are in our second to last week of the um, first letter of Paul to the Thessalonian church. So, uh, if you have your Bible with you, feel free to open it to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We're going to be in verses 12 through 22. But before you do that, um, I, as we do every week, I want to ask you to stand if you're able um, and to honor the reading of God's word. So this is 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 12 through 22. So, we ask you, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Verse 16, rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies. But test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. You may be seated. May God bless the reading of his word. Amen? Amen. <clears throat> So, um, if you've been with us through, throughout this series, uh, you'll remember, I hope, uh, that the church in Thessalonica that Paul was writing this letter to was a newborn church, a fledgling church, a baby church uh, made up primarily of Gentiles, so that is non-Jews. So this would be a church full of people who are new to the faith, very unfamiliar with the Bible, um, and on the outside undergoing a great deal of affliction and persecution. So it is a tenuous situation, okay? Uh, the Thessalonian church, we might imagine, is like a, a little sapling grow in a growing storm, okay? So Paul compares his relationship to this church in striking ways. He even says he is like a nursing mother to this infant church, right? And he's been separated uh, from them, and so we just feel his anxiety as a parent, right? In the background of this letter is Paul sends his um, beloved child in the Lord, his protege, his Padawan apprentice, Timothy, uh, to go check on this church, uh, and then Timothy returns to Paul with a glowing report that, you know, for a tender little sapling in a storm, this church is flourishing. Uh, they are taking root and bearing fruit in faith and hope and in love. So it's good news. So yes, they're, they're flourishing, but they are still vulnerable. Right? As, as an analogy, my, my two-month-old son is, is thriving. Right? He was born at 5.7 or 5 pounds, 7 ounces. He's well over 10 by now. He's working on that third chin. You know, uh, he's, he's thriving. But does that make him any less vulnerable? No, right? 
He's not ready to like move out on his own or drive the car, okay? So like my son, the Thessalonians, they still need a lot of help and a lot of guidance, not because anything's wrong, uh, but they're simply young and they're in a challenging context and city. And so we get to the end of the letter and having dealt with some of their questions, which a lot of which are basic questions about the return of Jesus Christ and uh, what about those who have died in our congregation? Are they missing out on this? Um, so he's answered these questions and now Paul, what, he gives them what we might call a map to maturity. A map to maturity. So you know in your navigation app, when you switch over to details and you get the bullet point list of uh, directions, it's kind of like that. You're just this barrage of uh, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, all these things that seem kind of disparate at first, but it's a map to maturity. And so Paul knows that things are only going to get more difficult for the Thessalonian church. Uh, Just as externally, things are going to heat up and the pressure is going to increase uh, from the outside, internally, you know, the honeymoon's going to be over at some point for this little community, all right? So he's giving them instructions. What, what do you need to do as a family, as a church family, in order to survive and thrive? Uh, what, what needs to happen to give this tender little sapling a chance to mature into an oak tree, right? A resilient oak tree. Remember, that's, that's Paul's goal. That's the goal of every church leader as he puts it in Colossians. He is always struggling, teaching, praying, admonishing, which means warning, seeking to present every believer before Jesus as mature. So let's walk through this map to maturity, and then we'll reflect for a moment on what it might mean for BCC, for our church community. So verses 12 And 13 starts with directions about leadership. Directions about leadership, then we'll look at fellowship and worship. So, we ask you, brothers, we ask you to respect those who labor among you. So this word labor here is the same word Paul uses for the hardworking farmer in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 6. It's the same word that he uses for his own side hustle of tent making to support himself, if you remember. Uh, so this is like grueling manual labor, sweat on your brow type of picture of, of work. So respect those who work hard among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, which means warn you. So these are those, same group, same people uh, who, to whom Christ has given a job, authority and responsibility for uh, decisions, for direction, and for discipline, right, unto maturity in the church. Um, and he says to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. So not begrudging respect, but esteem them highly in love because of their work. So who is the them? Who's Paul referring to? Right? Elders pastors, okay, which for, for Paul, biblically, those are synonymous things. They're, they're leaders. So the first direction on their map to maturity is to show honor and love, appreciation and affection, if you want alliteration, <laughs> uh, to their leaders. And, and we can imagine maybe in this young church, 
some of these leaders are young, right, or newer, newer to the faith, and so maybe they need a lot of encouragement in order to thrive. And then he says this, and I believe it's related, be at peace among yourselves. So in this last half of the last chapter of Thessalonians, Paul says, brothers, brothers, brothers. He uses familial language. Um, so you can imagine it's like honoring your parents and getting along with your siblings. It's kind of the first directions. Um, so why? Why would honoring and loving leaders and seeking to live at peace be the very first thing Paul brings up in his map to maturity? Well, first, and more generally speaking, uh, to rebel against your parents and to be constantly at war with your siblings is a pretty perfect portrait of immaturity, right? Uh, so it, it makes sense. Um, and on the contrary, an atmosphere of mutual respect and assuming the best of one another and uh, overlooking offenses routinely, that's the only thing... <laughs> that makes it possible to work through the inevitable trials, the inevitable conflicts of family life, of church life. You get a bunch of sinners together, there's going to be conflicts. That's the only thing that makes it possible to work through those things to deeper levels of maturity, of love, joy, and harmony. As, as Peter put it, love covers a multitude of, of sins. So, I'll say it this way, a foundation of respect and love can, can get a church through just about anything, right? But without those things, even the slightest little thing can blow up a community. So this is the foundation. And if you miss, if you miss the very first turn on the directions, you're in for some rerouting. And in life, rerouting is painful. So second... Second reason, and more specifically to the Thessalonian church. Uh, notice right after this, Paul uses this word admonish again. Um, and he urges them now. He asked them before, but now he urges them all to um, admonish or warn the idol. Um, so idol can, can also be translated as insubordinate. Uh, so Paul has already, if you remember, Pastor Joe preached this one, uh, back in chapter 3, he encourages them to work with their hands so that they would be dependent on no one. Um, Paul says this is his own example. In Acts 20, he works with his own hands that he would have be able to share with those who are in need. He says, help the weak. Um, and so apparently there, there was an issue of some kind uh, here in Thessalonica in this young church of laziness. Um, or disrespect for authority, or some mixture of both. Those two go together often, right? And <clears throat> Paul wisely doesn't put it on the elders to, like, whip them into shape. You know, hey, respect my authority. Right? That conversation <laughs> doesn't often go very well. He puts it on everybody, the whole team, so to speak, to hold each other accountable, right? It's an every-member mission. And so that brings us to verses 14 and 15, directions about fellowship. Admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted. In Greek, this is literally little-souled ones, which I like. Uh, encourage the faint-hearted. The faint-hearted. Those are likely those who have experienced loss of loved ones, um, and, and likely those who are fearful and cowering under the, the persecution that they're facing. And then number three, help the weak. 
which in this context likely refers to the, the poor and the powerless in their community. Um, and finally, be patient with them all and see to it that no one pays back anyone evil for evil. So don't retaliate, um, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone, and to everyone. So that would extend even to those who are persecuting them, right? To do good to them. Remember who had something to say about that, right? Jesus, bless those who curse you, pray for those who persecute you, and you will be children of your Father who is in heaven. So the very first direction, recap, on our map to maturity is to love and respect like those who are driving the car, so to speak. Like, don't, don't distract them by fighting in the back seat till the car crashes. Okay, let's, first things first. Um, and then second, on this journey that we're all on together towards eternal life, towards maturity, towards Christ-likeness, the goal is not to win. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get to maturity before you do. <laughs> the, the goal is to get there together to help one another finish, to help one another get there. It's an every member mission. And often, right, it's true that the way we grow is by serving and helping others grow. And Paul knows this. It's part of how we mature. So let's pause. Have you thought about the fact that God has placed specific people in your life and in this church that need admonishment from you? Not just from a pastor, right, from you. God has placed specific people in your life who need encouragement today from you. Encouragement maybe only you can give. God has placed people in your life who need help today. God, this is the hard one, God has placed difficult people in your life on purpose for your good. God has placed difficult people or maybe people who have wronged you in some way in your life and they need your repentance. They need your forgiveness, whatever it is, and they need it today. In other words, God has placed all sorts of people in your life so you, he can love them through you. He can love them through you. And what does that involve? Paul says patience. Patience. Be patient with them all. It involves time. <laughs> uh, Rick Warren said this, the, the best use of life is love. The best expression of love is time. And the best time to love is now. It's kind of corny, but really good, right? <laughs> really good. Um, I stopped by the, the goodbye party for the Tulo family last week. And I, I love doing this. I put Lewis on the spot because I respect him. And I said, Lewis, what is your philosophy of life? And he, and he blurted out, uh, why put off until tomorrow what I can do today? And then he said, wow, I didn't know I had a philosophy of life. <laughs> uh, and so I was reflecting on that. It, it surprised me, but then it, it really made sense of who Lewis is. And, and I was wondering, like, what if we applied that to what Scripture calls our duty what we owe to one another is to love one another. Like, why do we intend to but put off honoring, admonishing, encouraging, helping, doing good, loving someone until tomorrow when we could do it today? We could do it right after service. Why? Why do we do that? I think a big part of the reason is what Paul points out. It's because we're impatient, aren't we? We're impatient with God. We're impatient with, with his work in other people. We're impatient especially with those we perceive to be lazy 
or difficult or weak, has not is not really entitled to our time because underneath we believe they'll never change. So I'll gossip about them or grumble about them with my spouse or with my friends, but I'm certainly not going to like waste my time praying for them. You know what that is? It's just unbelief. Unbelief. This is why Paul says, love believes all things in 1 Corinthians 13. You believe, as Thessalonians says, God is going to finish the work he started in that person. Love believes all things. So love is, first of all, what? Love is patient. Love is patient. So encourage, yes. Help, yes. But be patient. Have you ever been discouraged in your life? Yes. <laughs> ever been depressed? Anyone ever tried to encourage you but was impatient with you? Not a good feeling, right? Not a good feeling. If, that, if that's your therapist, get a new therapist, okay? You'll end up more messed up than you were beforehand when someone tries to encourage you but is very impatient with you. If you want to love well, which is kind of our whole job, right? If you want to love well, you need to learn to notice your impatience. Just notice it. It's like 90% of it. Uh, when you find yourself impatient with someone, I think it's a sure sign that you have stepped off that slow, transformative path to maturity and Christlikeness, and you have gotten back into the world's race, which is so tempting and has a very different pace and a very different destination. Remember that the goal is not to get there first, but to get there together to get there together. And so just a suggestion, every time you notice your impatience, be patient with yourself. <laughs> That's Satan's first trick there. <laughs> be patient with yourself and turn it into a gentle prayer. Jesus, thank you. Help me to walk at your pace. You are so patient with me. Help me to be patient with this person. If you do that, you might discover you are praying without ceasing because <laughs> you will notice it a lot. Uh, and that brings us to verses 16 through 22. We'll start with 16 through 18 and talk about those. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So notice these are directions about worship. Um, now, Verses 16 through 18 has long been one of my favorite, like, coffee mug verses. You know what I mean? Like, it just sounds so good. Um, like, it's just God's will for me that I would be this unceasingly joyful, prayerful, thankful person. So I got to practice gratitude and practice the presence of God. And, and that's all great. Do those things. Absolutely. Um, the problem, though, as I studied this deeper, is that every you in the passage is plural, uh, and everything before and after it is about what the church does when, when we're together, like this. Um, so this, this is not so much a, a, a collection of verses about being joyful and thankful individuals, but do that, that's great. Um, it's actually much, much simpler than that. This whole passage is about what we do when we gather together for worship and, and for fellowship. We, we show honor and love to our leaders. Uh, we admonish, we encourage, we help, we do good works, we rejoice, we pray, we give thanks, right? We rejoice, we worship. 
And, and we listen to prophecies about, and we, we test what is said. We'll get to that in a moment. So just to make this very clear, um, this verses 16 to 18 is less about our personal, like, spirituality, you know, and um, more in line with the charge in Hebrews 10, 24, and 25, uh, which says this, let us consider how to stir one another up, to provoke each other, to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, right? There's a bad habit some people picked up, neglecting to meet together, uh, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Um, so our hearts get hard in isolation, right? So we're to gather together to encourage one another. Um, so the message of this text as a whole is actually rather simple. It's effectively, do not stop gathering as God's people. This really surprised me. Do not stop gathering as God's people. Whatever's going on outside, whatever the circumstances are, never stop gathering to celebrate God's salvation, to, to pray together, to give thanks together. Like, even if it's just with your family, you know, or your roommates in front of a, you know, an iPhone because it's a pandemic, right? Never stop gathering. There will be seasons where it doesn't feel like it, um, but there is nothing more important that we can do than worship and fellowship, right? Investing in people, storing up treasures in heaven. The best use of, t- of life is, t- or the best use of time is loving God and neighbor. And done intentionally in a healthy church over a lifetime, it makes an enormous and might I even say eternal difference on the person we are becoming. We're just usually too impatient to notice. So finally, I want to make a note on these last two verses. Um, Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies. Test everything. Hold on to the good. Spit out the bad. Right? Abstain from every form of evil. Uh, Now, this... Interesting. Very interesting. Okay, we're just going to ignore that. Um, I think this uh, command to not quench the spirit, so I don't... And don't smother the flame of the Spirit's work amongst us. Um, uh, it, sometimes commentators will talk about, is this referring to what, you know, is this just despising prophecies? Is this its own little verse that's not connected to anything around it? I think it actually works forwards and backwards. So how do we quench the Spirit? Well, if we stop gathering together to encourage, to help, to rejoice, to pray, to give thanks, we quench the Spirit, right? And... If we despise prophecies, we quench the spirit. So um, we're going to, this is going to be a little Bible nerd moment. Okay, it's going to be fun though. Okay, stick with me. Uh, In 1 Corinthians 14, we get this fascinating glimpse into the lives of the very first Christians. And Paul is giving instructions for what they do when they gather together to worship. And it's just fascinating. Okay, he says this in verse 26 of 1 Corinthians 14. When you come together, each one of you has a hymn. It's like God has given you a song this week to come share. Isn't that cool? Um, A lesson. Each one of you, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation of a tongue. But, this is Paul's rule, let all things be done for building up. And we'll skip down, verse 29. Let two or three prophets speak... And let the others weigh what is said. 
If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first prophet, okay, if a revelation is made to one prophet, let, an, let another prophet be silent. Don't talk over the other prophet, okay? Uh, for you can all prophesy one by one in order so that all may learn and be encouraged. Um, so apparently when they gathered, multiple people with the, the gift of prophecy would have some word from the Spirit of God. And what's Paul's concern? Paul's concern is, is an orderly environment because he wants everyone to, to hear, to consider what is said, and then be encouraged and be built up, which is just what he says in our own chapter last week, verse 11, therefore encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. So if you could use your imagination, imagine in Corinth, you know, Paul's, Paul's concern there is chaotic worship. You know, prophets are like blurting out over each other and people are speaking in tongues and no one's interpreting it. It's just, it's just crazy, an environment. So people aren't being encouraged, they're being confused. Um, so it's chaotic worship. But in Thessalonica, apparently we have the, the opposite situation. We have a more subtle form of immaturity where they don't want to hear from prophets. <laughs> they don't want to hear from prophets. Like maybe there's words of admonishment of warning that they would just rather not hear. Um, and I think that's very likely the case because only here, Paul, at the end of his letter, he has this unique line where he feels the need to put them under oath to have the letter read before the whole congregation. So it'd be like Pastor Heath giving the elders like a letter and being like, I'm, I, you need to swear an oath that you're going to read this in front of the whole congregation. That would be a sign of an issue <laughs> at the church. Like some, some would be off, right? So Paul wants transparency. He wants them to, to hear what the Spirit has to say through him uh, or through one another and test it. Weigh it. Does it line up with Scripture? Does it lift up the name of Jesus Christ? Does it lead to encouragement and building up the congregation in love for God and love for one another? Don't be afraid of it. If, if that's true, then, then heed it, hear it. If not, then, then weed it, right? Spit it out. So I think that's a picture of what's going on in the Thessalonican church, Thessalonian church, um, this little tender sapling in a storm. To, to survive and to thrive, to grow up into Christ, the little church needs to do three things. Number one, needs to commit to respecting or demonstrating respect and love towards its leadership. Right? The portrait of immaturity we have is the, the, the people in the wilderness grumbling against Moses and Aaron, right? And, or Aaron grumbling against Moses, right? So number one, respect and love toward leadership. Number two, commit to patient admonishment, encouragement, and help in the fellowship. Continue investing in one another's lives, right? And number three, commit to rejoicing, prayer, thanksgiving in God's word, in worship together. Commit to those three things. So when you take a big step back and you look at this big bullet point list, it's kind of simple, right? I mean, it's the basics. It's the fundamentals. What do we have? Leadership, fellowship, and worship. It's the fundamentals. Honor and love your leaders. Gather together in all circumstances for worship and for fellowship. We used to say all the time, Sundays and calm groups. Sundays and calm groups. That's how you grow, right? Um, so where does Paul's map to maturity land for us today at VCC? 
I don't think any of us would call VCC a, a fledgling congregation, an immature congregation. We're, we're pretty rooted here uh, in our city at 52 years young. Uh, I think it's more like many of our thickest branches just up and, you know, moved to trees in Texas, <laughs> you know, in Idaho and Arizona and Washington. And we have like new branches every week and we're like, are you going to stay? You know, uh, so there's all this shuffling going on in our, in our context. Um, and as a church, by God's grace, uh, we're, we're surviving uh, this and so far, and in some ways we're even thriving. But man, if we are not in for some nasty weather, you know, culturally, politically, environmentally, you name it, over the next 50 years should Jesus take his sweet time. Um, but all I want us to do is remember this simple truth this morning. The most effective way to quench the spirit is to forsake the fundamentals. The most effective way to hinder God's work is to forsake the fundamentals. Okay, so it's Father's Day, uh, so I'm going to finish with a sports analogy uh, because I feel like being cliche today, okay? Uh, and I'm going to talk about the San Francisco baseball giants for the second sermon in a row. So I'm well aware that I am due for some admonishment uh, from the elders, not to mention the A's fans uh, in the room. So I apologize, but I promise it will be relevant. Um, so I took my dad to the, uh, a Giants game this week for his 70th birthday, which was earlier this month. And we took my oldest son, Levi, uh, along as well. It was his first ever game. Uh, he was born uh, the day after they won the 2014 World Series, which was a very big weekend for me, as you can imagine. Um, so if, if, if you remember, the, uh, the Giants won the World Series in 2010, 2012, 2014. Three times. That's right, Dodgers and A's fans, three times. Um, but the weird thing about it, which said people like to remind me of, is that they didn't even make the playoffs in the years in between, okay? Uh, and so every year they won, it just seemed like a miracle. It was not predicted at all the year before, and everyone, you know, thought it was a fluke. And this year again, what did they say before the season? Uh, it's, it's a rebuilding year for the Giants, which is every fan's worst nightmare, that word rebuilding. It means don't even watch. It's going to be ugly. Set your expectations low, right? Um, and yet again, here we are, almost halfway through the season, and the Giants have the best record in the National League. Um, and again, everyone's like, what is going on here? But if you look closely, you notice something. Uh, what the Giants are doing really, really well, again, with their new coaching staff, is the fundamentals. The fundamentals. Right? They're playing defense really well, starting pitching, plate discipline, working counts, right? defense, no errors on routine plays. It's just, it's beautiful, okay? Um, it's the stuff that doesn't make headlines. And, and so-called miracles are a, are a part of baseball, okay? Um, but it's the fundamentals that make the difference between the random miracle highlight on SportsCenter in April and being there in October with a chance to see a miracle. October is when the playoffs happen for you non-baseball people. Um, VCC. Sports analogy over. Okay. I don't think we are in a rebuilding year as a church. I don't think we should set our expectations for God low. And the main reason is because so many of you 
have done the fundamentals so well and have been so faithful over this past extremely difficult year. God has pruned us, I think. God is disciplining us, and that means, I believe, that we are poised to thrive by God's grace. We will for sure have good seasons. We will have bad seasons. We will have bitter seasons. But that's not up to us. That's not up to us. What is up to us is to do the fundamentals in season and out of season with expectancy in our hearts. Expectancy in our hearts because we serve a God of true miracles. We serve a God who raised Jesus Christ from the dead, and we should have hope and believe all things because every single person in this room has the Spirit of God working on them or working in them. And it's the very same Spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. It's the very Spirit that was at work transforming lives in Corinth and Thessalonica. The difference is the fundamentals. The most effective way to quench the Spirit is simply to forsake the fundamentals. So, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for us, BCC, for us. Um, So that's what we're going to do right now. We're going to do God's will right now. First, we are going to do a prayer of confession prayer of confession, which we do every week together to grow in humility and in the hope of forgiveness. Uh, Then we're going to do the Lord's Supper or communion or the Eucharist. Anyone know what Eucharist means? Thanksgiving, right? We're going to give thanks together. And then we are going to rejoice. We're going to worship. We're going to sing together. Because if this year has taught us anything, is that it is a precious privilege, a gift to just be here together and to give thanks and to worship the God who made us, who saved us, Jesus Christ, who loved us and gave himself for us. So let's begin with a uh, prayer of confession. I will read it and then I'll cue you on the last slide uh, to, to pray with me. Okay, so we'll start. Holy and merciful God, in your presence, we confess our sinfulness, our shortcomings, and our offenses against you. You alone know how often we have sinned in wandering from your ways, in wasting your gifts, in forgetting your love. Have mercy on us, O Lord, for we are ashamed and sorry for all we have done to displease you. Now all together, Forgive our sins and help us to live in your light. Walk in your ways for the sake of Jesus Christ, our Savior. 